Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field, to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your life or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Today, I come to you from my purple couch in my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in Nevada. And speaking of hot, today's topic is about product development. I've been involved with product development from a client support side. I developed some of my own. I've had some major winners, and I've also had some that, you know, you do something exactly right, and yet for some reason they still don't come. Then you have the one that you think that nobody's going to buy and it blows your mind. Uh, Sometimes you have these sentiments out there from the product creator that they've been inspired by God to do it and 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 statistics and whether anybody would even attend a webinar on the topic for free be damned they're going to sell it and I got to tell you I had one of those once and we use a strategy to transform a topic that previously the guy couldn't give a free webinar away on to something where he sold out a high ticket priced offering so Miracles can happen if you're inspired by God. And finally, we have those cases where it feels like you're throwing pasta at the wall, trying to figure out what people would actually buy. And that's why I'm so excited today to discuss seven fact-finding strategies entrepreneurs must produce, or excuse me, pursue before product development. And to guide us along those lines, we have Michael Goldsby. He is a Stoops Distinguished Professor of Entrepreneurship and Chief Entrepreneurship Officer at Ball State University. And he, in partnership with Rob Matthews, who is Executive Director of the Entrepreneurial Leadership Institute at Ball University, um, as well as Min Bassador, who is a Professor of Emeritus at McMaster University, Canada, and the founder of Bassador Applied Creativity, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. These folks have come together to create a book. Design-Centered Entrepreneurship 2nd Edition, which provides a research-driven, step-by-step approach to creative problem-solving. And we just learned the team that Michael Goldsby plays with, and we're about to meet the man. Michael, come on in. The weather's fine. All right. Great. Thanks, Adam. Good to be here. All right. That is uh, probably the first time I've read a bio that was mostly about other people. So what we do here first at Business Creators Radio Show is going to be especially pertinent. I'm really excited about it. Before we dive into our topics, what we want to do is take a step back and learn a bit, a little bit more about Michael the man. So tell us a bit about your journey in your own words and what's brought you to where you are today, serving, interse- serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. 
Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, so my, my story is I am from a little small town uh, called Mitchell, Indiana in Southern Indiana. And I went to Indiana University for my business degree and, and I went to Virginia Tech for my doctorate and then uh, eventually got to Ball State University where I've been for 21 years. And Ball State has a long and, uh, and very solid and well-known reputation in entrepreneurship. So I've been very fortunate to not only be very involved in academic program, but also with Rob Matthews, we have our own institute, a funded institute by outside donors that allows us to uh, do like we're doing today and getting the word out more about some of the latest thinking on entrepreneurship. And huh? the book is in partnership with one of my mentors. I've had two mentors, Don Caraco, who's at Indiana University. The other is Min Bassiter, the, the, the author, co-author of the book. And Min is a, he's a legend in creative problem solving. And uh, his ideas have been used at places like IDEO, the design firm, and Google, and Microsoft, and uh, worldwide. And, and he has mentored me, and Rob and I are, are very fortunate to, in working with men, expand these ideas into the entrepreneurship field. Right. Great, great, great. So let's jump in here. There's so much we want to cover. And... The first thing I want to do is start with a little bit of mindset stuff, actually, because I believe in order to do product development, you got to have a clear view of yourself and where you are before we get into trying to figure out where other people are and come up with ideas that work in the marketplace. So how can, in general, people make progress when they're feeling stuck? And let me tell you, when it comes to product development, there's a lot of staring at the empty Word document trying to figure out what that product's going to be. Well, yeah, it's it's part of the natural creative process and being stuck. Everyone's going to feel those moments of being stuck, but it's uh, what I call being poised for opportunity or or open to, uh, you know, insight is that you don't know when that's going to come, but things can help uh, bring those moments about. Uh, one of them is conversation, right? So having a lot of conversations, uh-huh. uh, also novelty, getting some new angles to some new experiences can can really spur things. Uh, you know, travel, finding those people who are good partners to bounce ideas on. Uh, just like with this work that Min Baster and Rob Matthews and I do, those, you know, it stemmed out of a lot of years and years of conversations. Uh-huh. And as we worked on the book, the, the book that we had set out to write, it mostly followed what we thought it would be. But then as you immerse yourself in the process, the book sort of writes itself as well, right? I mean, uh-huh. you, you find things where there are the gaps, you find out things that come to you that don't happen until you take those steps. So really being unstuck requires just taking some steps. Maybe you'll go forward, maybe you won't, but you, you got to try some uh, talking to some different people or or experiment with some different angles with your product, with, with your service, uh, because it may reveal to you some new information that helps you get unstuck. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm hearing from you is just the idea of being willing to engage with the energies and the feedback that you can receive. That's it. And, you know, actually uh, all of life is choices in where you decide to place your attention, your energy, your time, your, your money, the resources you have available. And, uh, and I think, you know, part of it, part of getting you unstuck is finding those places of negative energy that are, that are taking away from getting that thinking, right? There are things that can draw sure. away, draw away your brain power that can draw away your, your creative mind. So you've, you, you know, we're always managing uh, the sources of positive energy that, that can spur us, you know, forward, or we're dealing with those negative energies and we, and, and that awareness of, of, you know, your, your setting and yourself 
play a, a big part in uh, fully utilizing your capacity and capabilities of what you can do creatively. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how, what, what is your recommended practice or formula to help people reframe problems, to help them find solutions? Yeah, so we, we talk about this a lot in the book. You know, a, lot, a big part of it is breaking up the idea that there are different, uh, really important practices that make up creative thinking. So the first is uh, divergence or what we call ideation or brainstorming. Yeah. But those are moments where you you don't judge anything. We call it deferral of judgment. You you don't judge ideas. You just let them happen because some of the craziest ideas later on can get reframed in a way that become very powerful. And then later on, once we get a lot of ideas, then having the discipline to make decisions on what we want to move forward on, you know, through our due diligence, through our through our uh, expertise, through our feedback. Uh, being willing to revise and evaluate and make the make the tough choices. So you'll find that there's two types of people. There's people who are really good at, with a lot of ideas. And then there's people who are good at making those choices. And, and you've got to be able to do both. Or if you have a hard time doing both, fi- finding that partner who can help do the, the part that you're not good at. And, and what we find a lot in, in your, I'm sure you see in creative product development is uh, a lot of the most biggest breakthroughs come not from a single person, but from a, from a partnership or a team. Well, there's the, there's the whole thing about how collectively we can achieve more than the sum total of our individual efforts, which sometimes is a thing. And and let me, and let me tell you, as far as crazy ideas, this is why, this is why it's sometimes challenging to be an executive or a leader is you sometimes have to go through the process of having crazy ideas in order to find good ones. So you have to be able to talk out loud. You have to be able to interact with somebody. So it really helps to have, I agree, a colleague or a trusted assistant or somebody who is willing to suspend judgment or disbelief and just accept that you're a fundamentally whacked out psycho as you ramble on about incoherent madness because it's part of your process of finding your brilliance and your passion. 100%. And you know what we call that, we do it in our office, we do it with our clients, do it with our students is we have a a, a very safe phrase that we use. And we say, hey, we're just diverging here. I'm just diverging. And what that means is I'm just throwing this out here doesn't mean we're going to do it. Doesn't mean we're stuck to it. Just know that I'm putting this idea out there for for feedback, for consideration, for for building on it, whatever. But I have this idea in my head, I want to share it and get and and get some, uh, as we'll say, you know, get some new thoughts with it, you know, get, get some new ideas with it and, and see where it could go. You know, there's something inside of you that is, t- is wanting to come out. There's something inside of you that says, you know, I need to get this out in the world and, and uh, express it. And maybe it's not the right idea yet, but it, it needs to get out into the world. It starts, to, yeah. it starts, with, it starts with a statement, right? And it's, it's those types of skills. They are skills. They're, they're developed, they're learned. Some people are better at them naturally, but it's it's being able to say, hey, I'm just diverging. I'm just throwing this out here, and then people know, okay, cool. You know, it's not like Mike or Adam is is going to make us do this. Yeah. Uh, but but then we go, okay, let me hear it, and and that goes a long ways. And everybody is good at that. You know, a lot of people are use what we call killer phrases. You know, they just shut down ideas before they even get a chance, and that that's a really bad problem in our society. Yeah, I, I want to come back to that killer phrases in just a second, but I want to bring this point even further along. The idea that we sometimes have to do things that on the surface look 
unconventional or even weird in order to get into that level of focus, creativity, productivity, what have you, to achieve our best results. Uh, people who follow me closely on social media know that when I start posting a lot of random things all of a sudden, they say, oh, he's got a big deadline. <laughs> because I've said that part of my process for getting into focus is to goof off. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I call that productive pro procrastination. So we 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 get busy feeling like we're uh, that we're being productive, but actually we're not being productive on the things that maybe we should be productive on, right? Right. But 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 is that but is that wrong though? I mean, is it is it? Uh, here's the analogy I like I like to use. If you go running or jogging, do you just like go to the track and just start running or jogging, or do you typically do stretches first? Good point. Yeah, I mean, and why and why do you do the stretches to make you more agile, more nimble, more flexible, and for the and along the same token to reduce the chances of injury because sure. you weren't primed before you began that run. That's a great point. So you know uh, what I would say, Adam, is that that's your process. You know, that's the process that works for you. And then people who know you and who and who are uh, follow your social media and your show are going, oh, Adam's. He's starting to get onto something here. And so that, that, yeah, that's good. If that works for you, then you should definitely embrace that. And I think that we all find our ways of uh, that. You got to identify things that work for you. And also hopefully the people that work with you uh, respect and encourage and, and, and are able to work along with you as you do those things. Like for me, I'm a, I'm a big uh, journal person. I write my ideas down on everything, whether it's my iPhone or it's on my uh sticky pads or it's in my in my journals or my notebooks I, I really find that if I get my ideas down on paper that's what helps me get things moving along and once it's down on paper it once it's out of my head and on paper it starts to take on a life of its own and it starts to, to move forward I, like for example a lot of my writing even even the book was written on my iPhone you know I was I was dictating a, a just a rough draft just to get the uh -huh. ideas down which I later put into word and, and reworked a lot into a more refined uh content right? That's yeah. my process. So yeah, yeah, I fully encourage people to find out what works for them. Uh, but you know, it's linked though, right? The, the writing down, putting the ideas in social media like you do, or me putting my ideas into paper and on my iPhone, that's still connected to something that when people are getting ideas down, what we what we like to do a lot is we like to capture them. We like to write them down uh -huh. because there's because we forget things. But if you write things down, you can... You, it's not forgotten. You can refer back to it. You get a hundred ideas. You maybe you go back to the first five ideas or the fiftieth idea. Uh, so we we're we believe very much in capturing those ideas so they're not lost. Yeah, I love this idea of diverging, uh, having a moment of divergence. I think I think that's great. Now I'm a a big student of history, and I'm not going to name any names, but uh, you know there are at least three presidents we've had in the United States within the past hundred years where to explain to describe their thought process when it comes to deliberating toward a decision of any kind dropping nuclear weapons was always a potential solution no matter what it was mm -hmm. and they would sometimes say out loud oh well we'll just bomb the bastards we'll, we'll send a nuke we'll turn them into a glass parking lot yeah. they didn't really mean it but they had to get that out there because it cleared the path for a rational solution, it would work. And I think, and I see a lot of that with executive decision making and product decision making is you sometimes have to go down those weird paths 
and you have to put things out there just for the sake of rolling them out. Yeah, I, I did that today with a colleague. We were working on a on an issue, and I I said, okay, it's a really complicated issue. I said, what's the worst thing that can happen here? And I, you know, if you're president, I think the worst thing that could happen is that you're you're launching a nuclear weapon, right? Yeah. But, but for our workplace, I said, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, in this situation, and they got it out there, and then from there, we we worked on just you know to something that was uh, more uh, mm-hmm. something we wanted to do, and that was a. a pretty good a pretty good solution yeah absolutely so the next thing the next thing i want to uh you know do is now let's dive a little bit more specifically this process from going from the additional idea to a successful solution i think we've covered in the past 10 minutes illustrates that it can be a winding path and sometimes it's cutting through brush in the forest for sure and so what we like to say is when you get once you have an idea that you want to explore more, it, you know, it feels like it, you're you're engaged with it. You think it's got some potential. The next thing is fact finding. We call it fact finding. And it's you know, we think that there are, there are questions that you can ask as prompts that will that if you if you write down as many answers as you can, to these things can help start giving you some insight. And so you got an idea or a problem you want to work on. Fact find. So, what do we? Here's the questions: uh, What do we know about this problem or this this idea? What mm-hmm. do we not know about it, but we'd like to find out? If we did this, what would we have? We don't have now. Uh, what have we or others already thought of or tried regarding this issue? But here's yeah. the big one. Here's a lovely one, and yeah, I think you'll like this one, Adam. What are, are we assuming that may or may not be true? Are we making any assumptions that may not be true about this thing we're working at? Because you know, for example, a lot of people shoot down an idea because they're making assumptions that may or may not be true. Let's put them out there. We might be wrong about those things. Yeah, that, yeah, that could be very much the case. Now, what about science? Is there a science behind this? There is. So that's where Dr. Bassiter, Min Bassiter, uh has been very influential because he's, he, uh, started getting into the science of this in the 1970s when he was at Procter and Gamble and he was getting his doctorate at uh, the University of Cincinnati, while at the same time, he was he was uh-huh. helping invent a lot of products that you, for example, one of the products that he helped invent was Coast Soap. You're familiar with Coast Soap, probably. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so that that was uh, one of his products that he, uh, product development, that's one of the ones that he developed. Uh-huh. Uh, Carnova Turtle Wax, another famous product. So there were things that he was involved with, and he he thought, you know, I want to get better at this. People are looking at me this. And so uh-huh. he got uh, very involved with some of the uh, early scientists of creativity, like Mark Runko and and others uh, in the 70s at the cutting edge, and then moved into an academic career studying this. And then we've joined him in, in doing this type of research. And so these things we're talking about, this type of creative thinking along with the, with the steps, and more specifically, what we'll get into in a little bit after fact-finding uh-huh. is actually how you frame problems. We call it, you know, uh, problem definition. That is a science. We, you know, there are uh, field surveys and studies and intense uh, practices that we've done out in the field, evidence-based, that show that people can get better at this. And when they use it, they get they get more creative solutions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- I think there's, you know, the other forms of science. You know, I, like the thing about, goofing off before getting into focus that to me is based on science there's a lot of literature out there about how taking a long hot shower 
limbers up your mind. It does. And also what that does is I think, I think that that's also puts you in almost a uh, meditative state. It does loosen up your mind and it takes, when your mind is taken away from the the daily things that cloud it, right? You're in the shower, there's nothing clouding it. It's when your mind is open that things, for example, I'm a runner and a cyclist. uh, And I, I, I'm, you know, if you work out, you find that all, all the people who work out probably tell you that they, they get ideas when they're working out, right? Because your mind is now it's it's in a meditative state focused on the next rep or it's focused on the next turn of the pedal or the or the next yeah. step you take. And the mind is freed up from all those things that it's usually thinking about. And lo and behold, what happens is that stuff that's buried down in your subconscious now has room to come up to the to the forefront, right? The, yeah. the, 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 the conscious brain has has shifted into a different state. And all that stuff that's circling under the under the surface now bubbles up, and that's when those, those things come to you. So yes, find those things that relax your mind uh, and and allow those those subconscious things to to pop up because it's down deep in in the water where where the really pretty fish are, right? Yeah, I've said many times on this show that as far as like handling the financials of my business, I have a CPA who specializes in small to medium sized businesses and personal taxes and his one of his key areas of focus is that bridge uh between a a small business and its owners uh for their business and personal taxation so a lot of his clients work with him for the taxes for both their business and themselves personally because he understands that bridge and he also understands tax planning uh which is different from tax compliance now he handles pretty much all that, but there's one thing I do myself, which is the entry into QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to look at that and say, "Why the? I, I I I I I can't think of a word bad enough." Uh, <laughs> according to some, I, I I could I could have I could have dropped the f bomb, but that actually wouldn't have been strong enough. Uh, <laughs> would you enter your own stuff? Okay, two reasons. Number one, uh, there's really not much to it. About ninety five percent of our uh, expenses and our revenues are on timetables that recur. There's not a lot of innovation there. I designed it that way on purpose. So there's not a lot of work to do. Uh, Second is when I'm doing that stuff, uh, and I usually do it in like every other month, I'll just do whatever the previous two months were. Uh, For some reason, and I ended up researching this through science, originally it was for some reason, but I understand it scientifically now, doing that rote work of entering numbers and making sure that the the latest GoDaddy recurring is assigned to the correct account and all that. Whenever I sit down to do these in batches, I keep next to me a blank notepad with two pens to capture ideas about my business that will emerge while I'm going through that. I mean, it's real ditch digging, boring work, but something about that has given me some of the best ideas I've ever had for my business. That's great. Yeah. Another, I, another, yeah. Another thing is, you know, my business is at the scale it is right now where I'm still able to see the whole thing. And to me, at least, and this is my personal experience. And hey, if you want to tell me there's a better way, do it, do it that way yourself. I'm not going to change. I get a more of a picture of my finances when I look at it at both the micro and the macro level. There's things that entering the same charge in QuickBooks for eight months will lead you to either conclude or be willing to investigate 
they're looking at a pie chart that shows that X percent of your uh, X percent of your accounts payable are going to this uh, to this type of account just won't show you. Hundred percent, yeah. There's something about feeling it. Oh yeah, you know, I well, I, you know, I think what you're. It's almost like it's a version of remember uh, in search of excellence, the Tom Peters book. He reported that Jack Welsh back in the day at General Electric uh, kind of popularized management by walking around because he wanted to, he wanted to be on the ground, right? He MBWA exactly going on M- MBWA exactly. Yep. You're kind of you're kind of doing that when you put those numbers in. Well, you got you got to do some management by walking around. Uh, I, I've worked for companies where uh, I've worked for companies where the people in the C-suite would actually say something like. I, we know sometimes you see us in the hall walking around and you might wave to us or nod and we just look the other way and pretend like you're not there. Please understand it's not because we don't like you. It's because we're trying to make this a good company. And I'm thinking uh, one of your employees who's helping you to build your dream nods, you know, says hello and you can't even just give a nod as you walk by. Okay, oh, something's, totally. a, something's a little off with that. For sure. I mean, that's the thing, right, about these insights and and knowing what's going on is uh, you don't know that person might have the insight or a little piece of information that tips the company in a whole new direction or reveals a, a you know, a really important piece of information that mm-hmm. reveals a problem or uh, a possible solution. Just like you said, when you're putting those numbers in, uh your your brain's already primed about a number of things, and there could be that that one or two pieces of data that goes in there that goes, "Whoa, what's that?" Uh-huh. You a little more, and you're like, "Ah, you know." And so, you know, that's a, that's a cool thing, Adam. You point that out is what we find, especially in creativity and in problem solving, is sometimes it's a very small thing, very small thing that that when that one thing is done, a whole lot of stuff gets done, or or a big a big. Uh, a little insight that that yeah. people overlook could be the the one thing that really makes everything work. So yeah, I, th- I think you're onto something there. Yeah, uh, it uh, when I heard at the time being about 24 years old working for the company, I thought when I heard that's like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here bending over backwards for you, you freaking prick? I'll, yeah. I'll work. I'll work. I'll work nine to five with my full hour for lunch if you're not even gonna freaking say hello to me in the hallway. Now I'm with but you. Man. I, but but I but not but see, 20 years later. I still think you could at least give a nod. I mean, as you're, as you're zooming by, I, I don't think that's too much. Um, on the other hand, uh, I can, I, I've come to appreciate the different personality types and how people gain and expend energy. And in looking at who those people in that C-suite were at that company, uh, out of six of them, four of them were absolutely classic introverts. Mm-hmm. So the introvert type energy would lose a lot of gas by nodding and saying hello to everybody. But the thing is, is they got to go to the bathroom sometime. Yeah. You know, I think, <laughs> yeah. And I think also, you know, it's like that, that they could have used a little, a little bit of self-management realizing that when they're out there, the impact that their presence like that, you know, reverberated throughout the company that they just have to know, Hey, when I go out there, this is going to happen. And maybe they can manage their time a little better so that they know when they are out there it ought to be it ought to be uh high return right i mean that's right. kind of the, that's kind of their job it all starts from the top so they all know hey i'm going out there i got to be ready this is going to sap me a little bit it's going to drain a little energy but it's worth it because we get this 
And yep. maybe uh, there's other ways to do the things they would normally do in the hallway that if they don't feel like engaging like that, they need to send somebody else out there who will. Well, here, see, this, and, and this is my, my answer to it. You're the, you're the, you're the CEO of a, of a, a mid-sized company, let's say 500 people. Mm-hmm. And somebody from uh, the finance department sees you in the hallway and they, they, oh my God, it's the CEO and they wave. And you give them that little nod as you as you breeze on by to wherever you were headed. Now, yeah. to you, you're just giving a nod. It's like, okay, I see him. Hi, uh, right? To yeah. them, it might be, I was really discouraged this morning, but then the CEO gave me a nod and he told me to just carry on. And now yeah. I'm inspired. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's- so it makes those jobs hard, right? I mean, yeah. it, uh, people don't realize it. So you always say, you know, people at the top, it's a little lonely because people only at the top probably really understand what the other people at the top are dealing with. Right. But those are, that's hard. And that's, yeah, that's part of the job. That's, you know, and you have to, you're going to take that job on. You, you got to know that, that that's part of the work. Yeah, this may, I mean, this may seem like a bit of a segue, but it actually goes into uh, product development from the perspective of, at least in my view, how we put ourselves in the mind frame to do it and developing on some of the things we discussed earlier. I mean, it, it seemed like an open loop I brought up at random, but it was quite intentional. So now what I want to do is m- start moving in the time we have left toward how we actually figure out what products to develop. Uh, so how can someone be creative and good at following through on ideas? And I'm going to repeat that question for our listeners. You understand what I'm asking, but our listeners, I want to make sure you caught the gravity of that. How can someone be creative and good at following through on ideas? And the reason I said it twice is how many creative people do you know struggle to reach into the finish line before they moved on to the next idea? And how many people who are expert at follow-through, you sometimes wish they'd come up with an, with an original idea of their own? Hey, Adam, I'm going to tell you that. To me, that's that's the that's the rare and very powerful combination, the, the, the ability to... Exceedingly have, rare, right? Yes, have ideas and then execute on ideas. That is, that's all entrepreneurship or innovation or, you know, or product development is it's ideas and execution on the ideas. Uh-huh. And, and some, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty rare. So you, one, it's develop, developing those skills, you know, learning, ideally, if you get mentors, you can learn from people who do it well and, and take that type of coaching that you, you can uh, kind of talk to, like we're doing right now, we're coaching people. That's good. People are listening. Uh, but I would say, you know, the execution side uh, is, it, it this is the paradox this is why it's hard uh this so I, you you were talking about the science and i know that you you're very interested in the science of all this stuff brain stuff yeah, me too cognitive science I, I i look into this stuff a lot why are the, what are the cognitive reasons the brain science why people do what they do here's the fascinating thing uh ideas are exciting ideas when, when you get in an idea you're excited about, you know, you get a release of dopamine. It feels really good. You're energized, you're excited. And you, you have what this one brain scientist, his name is Robert Burton. He has a book called on, on knowing on the feeling of knowing, he says, you get a right. feeling of knowing and it feels like you absolutely know. 
And he said, if you did not have that feeling of absolutely knowing, you wouldn't do anything with it. So that becomes a motivator is I feel like I know and I want to do something. I want to get this outcome. I want to get the rewards. I want to build it. It's exciting. I get the dopamine release. I'm on a high. However, that very feeling that gets you going and moving forward is also the very thing that can run you into a landmine of big mistakes. Because you're so damn sure that you're right. And you need that to get going. Mm -hmm. But you also need to know the other side of that. And that is you could be wrong. And so then you need the other the other aspect. I'm working on this idea that I call openness to revision. You need to have mm-hmm. an open mind to revising the idea, to taking yeah. the feedback. Some people have that better than others, but you know, confirmation bias is that cognitive part that says, I'm only looking for the things to confirm what I already know. So I keep moving forward and keep my momentum going. We don't like to break our momentum. We don't like to be stuck. We don't like right. to take steps backward. And that is the that is the conundrum of the modern or not the modern of of our of our ancestors and even today, is that we're ex, you know explorers are driven to go out there and explore, uh, and it's good for the species. It's good. It's good for you know growing and and expanding and conquering. But it also can be the very thing that that runs you into a really bad situation. So you you need to you need to also be aware that the thing driving you might also might be right, but it also might be a thing that gets you into problems. So you have to learn how to revise ideas and you have to learn how to refine them and edit them just like you would on, on the work that you do, on your creative work, on your intellectual thought leadership. You you know, you 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 you, you work on an idea, you you shape it, you edit it, you know, you do the same thing with a product. Right. I I and and the thing is, uh things develop as you go along. Uh and this goes into something that I share in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, which, by the way, I largely wrote by committing to blog once a day for 90 days about whatever was on my mind and going back after the 90 days and assigning them to categories, which then became chapters. Yeah, great. So that's how, that's how I wrote my book. Uh, just whatever was on my mind that day, I wrote about it. There was no specific target audience. There was no avatar. There was no monetization goal. There was no... Uh, conversion goal other than i create a special facebook group just for the project uh and uh shared the uh, the articles and i got people commenting on them and things like that that was it but the idea was to allow me to free flow a bit and allow the ideas to continue to develop and then just separate myself from even planning content mm-hmm. and just see what emerged it was more of a it was more of a deep dive into what i was brilliant and passionate about because i wasn't sure yeah. Now yeah, one. Yeah, now one of the. Great. Yeah. Now one of the themes that came up, and this is in the, the my book Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, is based on what we call the Spring Formula, and the S stands for Science of the Mindset, and several of the lessons within the S chapter, Science of the Mindset, have to do with forgiving yourself and uh and accepting, the power that comes from the experiences you've had. Now I know that and i've spoken about this in other places too that as children we're often put in these situations where we're forced by some authority figure to admit we were wrong (laughs) and to say i'm sorry and i'll never do that again okay not okay okay well here's what i learned Actually, working for that same company that I mentioned 10 minutes ago, uh, and I learned this from my direct supervisor there, and this was this is something that has carried me through life. One of the things, one of the, the 
gifts I have so much gratitude for is he and, and, I, and I and I actually thought he was kind of a at first I thought he was kind of a weak-spined individual who would bend over for uh, anybody who blew hot air at him but then one day about two months into working for him uh he said he said there's something I want there's something I want to teach you here he said never admit you're wrong hmm. what you do instead is you can use a phrase like like let's say you need to correct something uh that you had shared earlier in a meeting or with your boss or something like that you approach him and say uh, hey I'd like I I I I'd like to amend what I shared earlier mm-hmm. and then there's also the use of the phrase in hindsight I recognize sure the idea behind the the idea behind the those phraseologies is to take away the stigma that if you don't do something right you did it wrong well maybe you did it right based on what you knew at the time or maybe at the time all the indicators pointed in the direction you were headed but subsequent information and discoveries showed that a course correction was needed so now what do you do you amend your previous statements in hindsight you have epiphanies or you make a new decision and you don't have to admit you're wrong I mean, I mean, yeah, if I went on the street and knifed somebody, I'd probably have to say that was wrong. But uh, sure. but because I made a decision or I tried something with product development that didn't go quite as expected. No, I'm not going to admit to any wrong on that. So, what? as I said, one of the great gifts of my life and once and it took me about five years to internalize what he had shared. I didn't even work there by the time I finally really had the deep visceral aha moment around it. It's all about reframing the experience to create to create a truth based on the facts as you perceive them that empowers you to do more and better. Yeah, so you said the magic word there, reframe, and that that's what we think is the ultimate the ultimate creative act is reframing, taking something, and you know a lot of times we reframe it by by as you said, a, a, some new information comes in or or a new angle, a new perspective. Uh, and we reframe it. And I'll tell you this, I, th- I think that uh, people that are good at reframing things into act more actionable or more, uh, you know, more successful directions, that that gets a lot of respect. Those are the people that end up being recognized as problem solvers, right? They're the person yeah. who, wow, they really gave us a new way of thinking about this. Or they came up with a new way of thinking about it and, and willing to admit that because it also shows a commitment to excellence, right? Mm-hmm. Excellence is an ongoing journey. So it's like, yep, I'm just trying to get better here. And whatever, whatever gets us better results, I'm all for it. I'm willing to, you know, tweak and adapt and, and, and shift directions here so that we get the best results. Uh, yeah. And, and, and before I move on to my next question, which is going to be a zinger, I promise you, I want to develop a little bit more of what I shared about some of the programming we get as children, one of which is admitting you're wrong. And then there's that phrase, I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again. Well, First of all, are they really sorry? I can think of instances in my life where I had to stand up to somebody who was uh, pushing me around or giving me problems. And the fact is that when you do that, sometimes it doesn't look very pretty. And somebody who looks at the situation without understanding the context, uh, like I, for example, know somebody who had a coworker who he got involved in a romantic relationship with. And uh, while he was away on a project, she cheated on him. 
mm-hmm. and their and their relationship ended. So he after his project ended and uh, he went from remote to going back to the office, uh, he was going to end up he was going to end up seeing her there. And he found out that uh, there had been all this talk about, oh, there's going to be a big throwdown when she shows up and blah, 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 blah. And he even advised his, his supervisor that there was going to be a there was that there was going to be a problem. And uh, he was asking, uh, he wanted to just give them a heads up that he was getting all this static that uh, she she or one of her friends in the workplace might cause a scene. And they basically said, well, you know, you're you're, you're a grown man, you can handle it or what have you. So she she, apparently, uh, he was just getting ready to leave. And then she came into the workplace and uh, just I, I don't I don't remember the story the way he described it to me, but exactly this has happened like 20 years ago. Um and uh he uh she just did said or did something that was just really nasty for no reason when he wasn't even trying to engage with her. And then she turned and gave him this look of, you know, what you got, pal? And he said, <laughs> and he said, whatever, slut. Wow. Now, pause. Yeah. Somebody looking at that without understanding the context of the situation might say, how dare you call her that? But what do you, but what do you call an unfaithful girlfriend well, who that, who then wants to cause problems for you afterwards? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, what, what, what word do you use for that? I mean, there are other words and I'm not saying that he was right in handling it. But is it really something he has to be sorry for? Now, the reason I bring that up is, and again, this this is you know edgy stuff, and we get into this sometimes on our show. Uh, on the other hand, he didn't have any more trouble from anybody else after that. Nobody, including her, messed with him again. And there was no further talk of drama around a past romantic relationship happening in that workplace. Now, to me, looking at it, it was real simple. He sent a message of basically FAFO, and we know what that means, fuck around and find out. Mm-hmm. They found out that he's not a rollover, and yeah, you push him, he's going to push back. You really, right. you, do, do, you, do you want this smoke or not? And uh, folks said, no, nah, we don't need that. So was he sorry for doing it? I asked him about it, he said, no, he actually wasn't sorry at all. He didn't enjoy doing it. He didn't feel represented who he truly aspires to be as a person. But given that situation and all the unique circumstances surrounding it, that's just the way he had to, he felt he had to handle it. And as far as would he do it again, he's actually come out and said, given the exact set, given the exact set, same set of circumstances, he would do it exactly the same way. So I'm sorry, and I'd never do it again, really. Right. Now, this is actually a very good person, one of the most generous, kind uh, contributors to society I know. And but even your best people, your kindest people, your most generous giving people find themselves in situations. And as I said, when they have to they have to deal with the situation, sometimes with a bit of uh, verbal force or uh, something like that. Somebody looking at it without knowing the perspective and not knowing the whole situation might say, "Wow, can you, how, how how could he possibly do something like that?" Yeah, well, you know, and I think also on that, you know, they, 
it, it speaks for patience, right? So in the sense yeah. that uh, before somebody passes judgment on that, maybe they need to get the story, right? Get the story yeah. from him, story maybe from her, from others. And, you know, uh, you know, that it, and when we know, you know, from brain science, right? The same deal. Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, could it's a pretty triggering traumatic type of thing that state of mind he was in at the moment. And if there's some patience uh-huh. with all the facts, then, you know, there, there's a pretty good explanation. And then at the same time, as you said, you know, uh, that was a moment, of, uh, a uh, a very big moment where others were watching and they they he sent a signal as to the type of person he was and what he would accept and what he wouldn't accept. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, I mean, this based basically he was on the receiving end of workplace bullying the way he described it to me. And uh, and I also know that he didn't get in any trouble over it. The reason being is. Uh, the his supervisor said when it was reported to her that he had he had done that said oh yeah he did tell me that his ex was going to try something yeah so he didn't get the immediate reaction or support from management that he had hoped for when he first reported the issue but the fact that he had been on record with it proactively saved him when he had to deal with it himself sounds like a very smart person so again so again the reason we explore this and again i know this is edgy and sometimes on our show we go places that you might think, what? You're going <laughs> on a business show? But it's because there is a relationship between the things that drive us viscerally, naturally, and even subconsciously, and how it impacts our successes, failures, and ability to handle situations in business and entrepreneurship. Well, yeah, and that situation you played out from the from his uh, former significant other and himself and his boss you know, to a certain degree, we're we're still operating from experiences we had when we were seven, eight, nine, ten years old, right? So, uh-huh. uh, you know, those things are buried down deep in our subconscious. Uh, he, yeah. That could have triggered something from his childhood. I, I yeah, I, I just yeah, I just described a scenario where all the people were involved, including the supervisor, were under age twenty-five. Mm-hmm. These are these are all people who weren't fully matured, if you know what I mean. Even though they were all legally of adult age, if you get my sure. drift. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so you have to take that into account as well. And you also bring up the really good point that in all three cases, there was likely something that caused them to act as they did and react as they did. And the last thing I last thing I can recall from again, I haven't I haven't had this conversation with this guy in a long time. But as I recall, what he told me was that he had just gotten to a point when it really came down to it part of it is he was just done with people twisting his words and pushing him around mm-hmm. and and, um, and 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 if and if somebody had to get insulted over it then that was the least yeah yeah i mean uh he was growing right i mean that yeah. was that, and, and that's what we do through hard times you know sadly i guess maybe good we don't like to go through hard times but that was a hard t- that was a hard time for him. I mean, he was I'm, I'm uncomfortable in his workplace because somebody had done him wrong and then was continuing to do him wrong. Now, in hindsight, he would never get involved with a coworker again. But hey, you know, sometimes the heart wants what the heart wants. Right, right, and you know, uh, yeah, and then so those lessons uh, are hard won. Uh, he he was in that moment learning lessons, and and it sounds like uh, that. That has uh, been a bit of a big lesson in his life. 
here's one more thing and this is why and this is why being a podcast host is so awesome as i like to say about my listeners i am their voice and what i mean by that is i can share stories like this that either happen to me or um happen to people i know or involve people i know or me that weren't necessarily their finest hour now a lot of us have things that happened or that we did that weren't our finest hour you can't have a finest hour unless all the other hours weren't weren't quite as good and in, unless at least a few of them were really bad for juxtaposition yeah I never but, about beca- that. but because yeah. of the whole programming of admitting you're wrong i'm sorry i'll never do that again i can't be seen as weak etc they can't articulate their feelings about these things which means they don't have the opportunity to process it and gain the learning from it now when somebody else tells a story they can then that's somewhat similar to that they can say hey uh you know something like that happened to me too i i get it i get it and without even having to share their own story they can now viscerally live through the other person's experience and get some of that growth so some of our listeners may have been in situations where they had an ugly breakup and they did some things in the breakup that uh, made them not exactly perfect in the situation either. And the bottom line is it happens to almost all of us. But that, but, but the fact that they hadn't processed it may hold them back from getting involved in subsequent romantic relationships. And it also may impact that they that they struggle with authentically centering in who they are which can then impact their ability to succeed in business and product development. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. That's what I was saying earlier, right? About the negative and the positive energies. I mean, yeah. those things that uh, keep you up at night or that, that uh, you know, are, that you don't haven't worked through yet, haven't processed can really take, take your brain away from working on things that could be uh, more creative. I'm, I, I'm a big believer in that. And, you know, the other thing is uh, I, I write a lot about, looking at entrepreneurs and the situations you're talking about too, they can hurt. And I, what I've seen is that people going, when we go through hard times, we can use that stuff either as fuel or poison, right? It either, you know, we want to prove, prove that we still got it. We want to prove that we're, that we're uh, capable. Uh-huh. We use it as fuel. Some people though, it, it, it drags them down. It's poison. It kills them. Right. And so you, you got a choice there, you know, are you going to uh, use that as fuel. Or are you going to, are you going to try to process it and move on get what you can out of it? Because there's probably something in that lesson that when you do process it, uh, you're better than you were before. And that thing can, that, that actually can end up fueling you. You know, it's crazy, right? When you look back in life and connect the dots, you're like, well, if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened. But all those points of, of, in your life, you had choices and how you wanted to handle it. Right. And, and, and the thing is that those situations come up again, you can make a new choice. That's right. So let's so let's say you get into another uh, romantic relationship that goes really bad, and the other person decides to give you a hard time. Well, maybe the second time around, you don't have to use a, a nasty pejorative to uh, to short stop a, a negative situation. Maybe yeah, you, maybe, 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 maybe the, the yeah. signs coming before it even gets bad, right? Before it gets that, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a, bad. Yeah, that's the thing. Maybe you spend 30 minutes looking over what happened with that whole thing. And maybe you recognize that yeah, maybe you shouldn't have been with her or him that long in the first place. Exactly. And so and so it then helps you sort through options that potentially bring you closer to your to your ideal life partner. Yep, that's right. I, right. right. You're, not, you're not going too far down the line before it gets to that point. Exactly. So now 
let's get into to cap this off. It's funny how you're in the you're, and people are now about to look back at this and say, "Whoa, he actually took us there." Yeah, I've been impressed with how you're doing this. This is yeah, really good. Yeah, so here, so here it is. I just spoke about lifetime relationships. Well, here's the question, and this I think is the crux of what drives success and failure when it comes to product development and actually being able to sell the stuff is how can a company figure out who their real customers are? Mm -hmm. That's my question. Yeah. Well, it's, it's figuring out who your real customers are and, and what their real problems are. So, yeah. uh, and, and that comes from, uh, Really knowing your customer, really getting out there and, and communicating with them. Get you were talking about getting the feedback, you know, getting the feedback from the yeah. customers, getting them involved early. Uh, we like to do what we call customer mapping. We like to actually bring customers into the uh, product or or service development stage. Like, okay, uh, get a few customers in there, and maybe they got some ideas on what they would like during that process, and build that yeah. into the possible solution. Right, right, right. I'll, I'm with you. I'm with you all on all the way on that. So. Uh... Here, let's do a follow-up question is, and I mentioned this in the intro. So how do we resist grabbing an apparent solution and running with it? Because there is that temptation to say, oh yeah, this is a good idea. Let's just buckle down. And then we have that programming of once you start something, you got to finish it. You don't want to be a quitter, do you? Right. Yeah, well, that's that's where, uh, you know, I the example I, I've often given is in Lord of the Rings, Gollum, right? My precious, yeah. got the ring. That's how we get with our ideas sometimes or our products. My precious. I don't want anybody else to 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 take it away or change it or or, or you know, want I want it to be how it is. And you gotta you gotta really develop a discipline of being open to getting that feedback. Now, at the end of the day, if you get a lot of feedback and you still believe in it, maybe, maybe as you said, there's people that you know who you've worked with that had that idea that that people thought was crazy and it ended up being, you know, ended up working. But at least you want to vet it. We, you know, we would call that due diligence, right? You want to do your yeah. due diligence. And that's what all good investors do. That's what all good CEOs and executive teams do. They run their due diligence. They, uh -huh. they, they at least vet it. They at least get the feedback. They at least get some other opinions. And at the end of the day, it's your call. You're the entrepreneur. Yeah. You're the executive. It's, you still get to make the decision. That's why you're in charge. But at least make what an informed decision, an informed yeah. decision that's been ran through due diligence. That's yeah. the other thing that you got to do. That's the execution side. Right. Here's here's something I've run into um, working with clients, whether it's product development or many other things. Sometimes they come up with ideas I think are absolutely nuts. But not but that that nutty idea survives the moment of divergence and actually becomes a serious decision. And I'm mm -hmm. looking at what they want to do and thinking, oh, this is going to be an absolute disaster. So I I try and guide them to tell them that yeah I'm, I'm big for experimentation but i really don't know about this one and they may say well yeah your 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 thoughts are noted and thank you for looking out for me but i want to do it exactly as i described so what i do in those cases and they're 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 pretty rare but they do come up as i say okay uh we're gonna do it your way but i do want you to i do want you to uh acknowledge that this is against this is against my advice, and I am telling you this will probably fail. But we're doing it because you have made the decision to do so. Oh, and they're happy to sign that blank check. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they do, I'll say, "Yep, all right, let's do it." And really, I would love to learn something here. So I, I hope this works out. 
Yeah. And then, and then we try it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But to finish my point, sometimes it works. The crazy idea actually turns out to be good. Yeah. You know, a phrase that one of my good friends, uh, who's a Fortune 500 executive, uses with people in his company that he might think have a, has a crazy idea is he'll say, well, show me more. Right. Yeah. So he's like, you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, he's a CFO. He's not really, you know, he's real careful with the money, but he doesn't want to shoot down creativity, you know, and he, and he'll say, uh, show me more. And if they're willing to go out and get more evidence and go out there and, and see if, you know, if it's, there's some traction, uh, some of the craziest ideas have, have ended up being huge successes because, uh, that person had insight and they had the ability to pull it off and, uh, it opened up a whole new market, you know? So, I think I think we've got to as you as you're doing it right, you know, you you got to challenge and and ask for, uh, you know, some consideration. But it, you know, if they can show you more, uh, hey, I love that. So I love that. Show me more. Show me more. Show me more. Yeah, I, I may I may have to incorporate that next time. I next time uh, a client uh, has a really bad idea. Yeah, and it also shows commitment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like maybe they're it also was the execution side. Like, okay, you got the, you got the crazy idea. Show me more, dude. You know, if you, oh, yeah. if you can get me some more, then you've got me, you know, you've got me more interested and we'll, we'll, we'll keep putting more and more into you the, the more you show us. I, I learned some of this from my coach and I've seen him um, interact with people in the hot seats on the mastermind calls where he will shoot down their idea uh, and tell them all the reasons it's really bad. But then uh, I remember this clearly as day about eight years ago, one of the members simply would not accept that uh, her idea was bad. So she came to the next mastermind meeting, got a hot seat again, and this time she showed up with um, evidence-based research and explanations for her assumptions on why this was worth trying, regardless of how silly the coach thought it was. And he said, well, you looks like you've really done your homework here, so try it. Yeah. And lo and behold, turned out to be a not a half bad idea. Yep. It, it, it was it was the idea without getting into the details because I don't want to reveal any um, identities. She was going to use her passion business as a lead generator for her primary business. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I'll come out and say it. Uh, she wanted to run a yoga studio so she could get clients for her medical practice. She's a doctor. Okay. Yeah. Now. Uh, on the surface, a lot of folks can probably see that there's at least a threadbare connection between the two. Uh, but she had the science, she had the research, she had the experience, she had her own developed case studies about how yoga practice can surface issues about a person's physical health. Sure. Yeah. And then it's also helping identify a certain client base, right? That maybe she yeah. would like to have his patients. Well, and that that says something too, because uh, uh, and again, this is not a judgment, but it takes a certain type of personality to stand on your head with one with one arm sticking out. Yeah, I tried it once, never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if somebody says yoga. I mean, what Yogi Bear? We we right. we we're not talking about starting any fires in the forest, are we? All right. right. So 
All right, so um, you know, let's uh, let's finish up here. Unfortunately, I'd love to keep this going, but we uh, these are hour long conversations. And for our listeners uh, who may have tuned in late, I just want to say again because this episode uh, is actually one of turned out to be uh, one of the more razor's edge type episodes is we have what we call a mastermind format for our podcasts although uh although michael uh did give me uh, a set of suggested interview questions and we actually did go every through every single one of them throughout the course of the conversation the way we do the business creators radio show is uh, it's it's like sitting down and having a private mastermind with somebody where you get bounce ideas off each other. You have those ooh, 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 thoughts when the other person is speaking. And it's all about creating ideas and at least opening conversations where the combined results are better than the sum total of individual experiences. So we do get kind of raw here sometimes. We go into areas that don't typically come up in the stultified environment of corporate boardrooms. And these conversations are necessary because this is where some of the most powerful and profound growth takes place. So what I'd like everybody to do is I do want you to uh, check out Mike Goldsby's uh, website. Uh, you want to go to mind to, that's the number two, mind to momentum. Com. And I do want you to check out the book that he wrote with his partners. It's called Design Centered Entrepreneurship, the second edition. And this is this goes much, much deeper into this whole thing about the creative problem solving and the research-driven way of designing products. So please, 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 if you can, go check out that book. I'm probably going to add it to my library as well as soon as I got my bookshelf set up. And with that, Mike Goldsby, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you, Adam. I really enjoyed our talk. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.